Well, hello, Abundant Life. So glad to be with you today. I have a word. And so if you have your Bibles or if you just want to follow along on the screen, feel free to do so. If you could go to the book of 1 Corinthians, it's in the New Testament, chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 12 through 26. The Apostle Paul here has something to say to us today that will be a blessing to you. Reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12. I'm reading from the ESV or the English Standard Version. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of smelling? Or where would the sense of hearing? Excuse me. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I don't have need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Today, I'd like to talk to you on the topic of working together. Working together. You see, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and we know that because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2, Paul says, I'm writing, I, the Apostle Paul, in verse 1, in chapter 1, in verse 2, he says, I'm writing unto the church at Corinth, to the saints, to those that are in Christ. So this letter is speaking specifically to the church of the living God. And he's taking the books of 1 Corinthians as well as 2 Corinthians, and Paul is addressing a number of issues in the church. You see, not that you can imagine this, but the church had some issues. The church had issues with 
government. They had issues with one another. They had issues and problems of dealing with the spiritual conditions. There were some issues with their marriages, with Christian marriages. They had some issues with Christian worship. And they had some issues with the gifts and how they should work together. And so Paul writes to address these issues, to set some order, as it were, so that the body of Christ, that the church the big C church. So here I'm not just talking about abundant life. I'm talking about anyone that names the name of Christ, that says, I am a Christian. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. If you say that you're a Christian, that you have received Christ and you are following after his commandments, then Paul here gives some specific instructions to us. And he says to us in chapter 12, as we're drilling down in chapter 12, he says that all of us have spiritual gifts. As a Christian, you have been given by God at least one gift. Now, the question might be, what is it and how do we function in that? And we'll talk a little bit about that. But these gifts were given to us so that we can work together. It's not about one person being over here or even one church being over here and another church being over there. But God has given these gifts so that we can work together. And the church at Corinth was having some problems in working their gifts and exercising them together. And they had some issues of people thinking they were greater or even less than others. And so here, as we read it, Paul is actually addressing it. Now, to define a spiritual gift, a spiritual gift is a gift that God has given. It is given by the Spirit, and it is for the benefit of the church to do the will of God. So these are not gifts that you can just do in your own measure. The Spirit of God empowers, endows you with that ability to be able to do it. That's why they're called spiritual gifts. And in the New Testament, there are over 20 gifts that are listed. And if I were to pause here and I would ask you, what are your spiritual gifts? Are you aware of what they are? Do you know? Are you using them? Well, hopefully by the end of this message, you will at least take the time to discover what they are and then to even inquire of God of how you can use them. So here, these spiritual gifts were given by God for spiritual work. And by spiritual work, I'm not just talking about what takes place in the four walls of a church, of any church building. But God has a spiritual work that he's asking for his believers to do in our homes, in our schools, on our jobs, in the supermarket. Yes, there's a spiritual work that can be done. On the streets, yes, there is a spiritual work that we need to be doing. Too often, the body of Christ, the church, thinks the work we're supposed to do is just here. It just, just happens on Sunday morning at 9 or 11 or whatever time that your ministry may meet. No, this extends beyond that. You see, God gave us these gifts and put us here on this earth so that we can accomplish his work for his kingdom. So let's talk about how those spiritual gifts should work. See, here Paul says that... I want you to think of these gifts working together like how the body functions. Now understand that he's speaking to the church in Corinth. So the Greeks had an understanding. They had a mindset or a mentality. And they looked at the body as an example for how things should work together. 
So Paul intentionally used this example of the body and he knew that they would relate to it and they would understand the connections that take place throughout the body. For those of you that are science majors or you are really uh, fanatic about science, that would not be me, that would be my sister. Um, uh, but I do understand some basic things about the body in that the body is made up of 11 different systems. So some of you, we know about our cardiovascular system. We know about our skeleton system, the bones that keep us all together. We know about our nervous system. But there are 11 systems that are working together right now. Whether you're sitting, whether you're standing, whether you are laying out in your bed, all of those systems have to work together in order for you to be able to do even some of the simplest tasks such as eating, such as drinking, such as lying down, such as breathing. All of those systems have to work together. So Paul says to us, he says, come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, church. You need to work together in that manner. He's saying that God is inviting us to work together and to be so, work, so connected that I'm not expecting one piece to be over here and one piece of the body to be over here. If we see some, a body that's dismembered, we're like, ooh. And in fact, we kind of equate that to kind of horror movies. We don't see that as a normal sight. And Paul is reminding us that we are to be so in tune with one another that the gifts that God has given us should be working together in such a way that it brings honor to God, but that it is so in sync that it's just like amazing. So let's talk about some of the lessons that I believe that Paul is bringing forth out of this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The first lesson that I believe is found in verses 15 and 16. And it says to stop comparing yourself to others. I want to say that one more time. Stop comparing yourself to others. I'm going to read verses 15 and 16. It says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That wouldn't make it any less part of the body. Now, Paul intentionally picks out a part of the body it, knowing it can't live, the ear, the foot, it can't live by itself, the eye, those parts of our bodies, they're so interwoven, it can't live by itself. And he's saying, church, church, I want you to understand that you can't live without the other people that are connected to you, not just the four square walls of your church, but body of Christ. All of the ethnic groups in the body of Christ need one another. Baptists need Pentecostals, need the Episcopalians. We need. He's saying, look, don't compare. So you don't have the liturgy like another denomination. You don't get to compare yourself. That word compare, it's a verb. It means that you're examining the character or you're examining the specifics of another person to see where you're similar or to see where you're different. 
And here Paul is saying, look, you don't need to compare. You should not be comparing. Because you see, when we compare ourselves to one another, we stop working together. Because it gave the permission. Paul is saying here, the foot is saying, hmm, I'm not the hand. Could you imagine your foot saying, well, I didn't sign that check, so I'm not going to help you get to the bank. The hand needs to be able to sign that check, but the hand needs the foot to cooperate getting to the bank. Well, now we can do it online, but you still got to be able to sign that check to be able to deposit it. Paul is saying, look, I don't want the foot to compare itself to the hand or to the eye. I want you to pause for a minute. Have you ever compared yourself to someone else? Have you ever looked at someone and said, mm, oh, he or she is taller than me, or they're smaller, or their hair is longer, or I like the color of their eyes. And you thought yourself either worse than or better than that individual. Well, Paul is encouraging us here, no, 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 no. stop comparing. You don't have to compare. Who you are is who you are. And I have something specific. God is, as we go for a little further, we're going to see that God has something specific for us just as we are. So first lesson is stop comparing yourself to others. The second lesson that Paul brings out here, and it's found in verses 17 to 20, it says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? Where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The second lesson is to find your place in the body. You see, the place speaks of a locality for a specific person, for a specific purpose. So for me, I like things in a place. I like my glasses in a place. I like my shoes in a place. Even in my closet, my dresses are in a place. And so Paul is telling us here, find your place. You see, your gifts help you to determine your place. So if you have a gift of singing, then your gift is it belongs in a place that there is singing or where like it could be a worship team or a choir or maybe an artist. Maybe you've got some sort of artist gift. So that's the place for you. If you have a gift of cooking, then that gift is not just saying you belong in the kitchen, but that gift, maybe you're going to create recipes and you're going to do some wonderful things with food. But the person maybe who has the gift for cooking but can't really sing that wants to be on the worship team or wants to be in the choir, hope springs eternal. You can hope and hope and hope, but God has given you a gift. And Paul here is asking us to find our place. You see, each member has a particular form, a particular place, and a specific use. I'm going to say that one more time. That each member has a particular form, a particular place, and a particular use. I heard a preacher say it this way, function in your unction. 
It's important for us as the body. It's important for us as members with gifts to find our unction and to find that place. And then when you find that place, as we just had in the first lesson, don't compare yourself to others. Even people who might have that same type of gift in that place, they're going to do that gift in their unction. You get to do that gift in your unction. I'm married to Bishop Lawrence Ward, and he stands here week after week, and he preaches, and he gives forth messages, and I'm going, ooh, that was good. Ooh, that was good. But even though we're married together, I'm his wife, I can't preach like him. I, I can't, much as I try, I try, I can't tell the jokes like him. I have to function. I, although we have a similar gift, we have a gift of communication. How he does it and how I do it are different. I had to find my place. And even comparing, so I can't compare myself to other women, other people, but I have to find my space. So I encourage you, and I would ask you, if you have identified your gifts, where's your place? And not saying that all the gifts should take place in these four walls. Some of us, our gifts are also to be used outside of the four walls, in the marketplace, in our workplace, at home. Some of our gifts are not supposed to be in the four walls. Some of us are frustrated because you're trying to force your place to be in the house. But God has a place for you out in the community because he needs people. He needs the body of Christ to be spread out and not just within the four walls. So lesson number one, don't compare yourself. Stop comparing yourself to others. Lesson number two, find your place. Lesson number three is found in verses 21 to 24. And it says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. The thing I want you to learn, or the lesson, the third lesson I believe that Paul is pointing out in these verses is learn to be interdependent. Learn to be interdependent. Notice I said learn. So that means there are some things we're going to have to unlearn. Because to be in this space, and I'll be honest with you, we have a lot of churches competing against each other. We have a lot of people in church competing with one another. Who has the biggest hat? Who has on the nicest outfit? Oh, I can sing higher than you. I can sing with, I can cook better than you. I can this better. And we're missing it. Time out, we're missing it. We have to learn how to be interdependent. That word interdependent means learning how to rely on one another. You see, our bodies, uh, the systems, the 11 systems in our bodies are so interdependent on one another. You've heard the, the statement before, go ahead and stub your toe and see if your mouth immediately has something to say. Hopefully something godly like, help me, Jesus. But sometimes when you stub that toe, your mouth says something that may not be too godly. If you bump into something or you hurt your knee or you got a pain in your stomach, your mouth might say something. Your body is going to respond, the rest of your body. In fact, when there's a bruise, it's because the blood is rushing. Your circulatory system, the blood is rushing 
anointing to that area to bring about healing. Can you imagine if the body of Christ really functioned in an interdependent manner? If I really thought my brother or my sister needed me what I have to give, I wouldn't sit on my gifts. I would be intentional about finding what that gift is and exercising it regularly because I know my brother or my sister is depending on me. I wouldn't say, oh, I'm just a bill. I wouldn't act like, oh, little old me, I don't matter. No, 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 no. Or I wouldn't think, oh, you know, I'm this big hot shot and, you know, everybody needs me. No, 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 no. Because we are all interdependent. Everybody has a gift and they all need to be working together. And when you supply what you're supposed to supply, then it adds to me. And when I supply what I'm supposed to supply, it adds to you. Because it's the body and it's interdependent. You see, every member serves some good purpose. Not just a purpose, but a good purpose. When God created mankind, when he created creation in Genesis, he said, it is good. But when he got to man, he said, it is good. Good, good. It is very good. He said it is, it man is better than good. Now I, that wasn't God. That's my interpretation. But when God said it's good, and He gave us gifts, these gifts to be used for His kingdom, but also for the benefit of others. But we've got to learn how to work together. So there means there's some things we have to unlearn. There are some habits, some thoughts we have about one another, some stereotypes, some lies that we've believed about other people in the body that we've got to unlearn so that we can learn to be interdependent. And that's whether you clap on one and three or two and four, I still need you. And that's whether you sing up high or down low or whether you, it's quiet or whether there are people running around the church hanging from the chandeliers, I still need you. And we need to begin to see the body differently so that we can truly work together. You see, Paul was intentional again. But these aren't the words of Paul. These are the words of God through Paul. So here's another lesson. Lesson four, found in verses 24 through 26. It says, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it that there would be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Here's the fourth lesson that I believe Paul wants us to learn. Give honor to all others. We need to give honor. Now, this verse, or these verses specifically talk about the others, the all others, who have the parts that are what, this, what the scripture says are indispensable, or in some translation, it's about the private parts. So to break that down even further, so the Greeks were, well, actually in most customs, we all have private parts to our bodies. And in most customs, we cover those private parts. 
since the fall of man in Genesis, but we know that before that, we were, man, man was naked and not ashamed. But after the sin and the fall of Adam, God covered. He slayed some animals and got the skins, and man was covered. So there are certain parts of us that are covered. We don't walk around, or we should not walk around. And in fact, if you do walk around and covered in certain parts, it's called indecent exposure in most countries. And so we don't walk around with certain parts of our bodies exposed. But in the Greek culture, there were certain places where they did walk around just free as Adam and Eve, as it were. But it was designated to certain spaces and either certain athletic events, uh, there were certain athletes that ran naked or did things naked, functioned that way. Also, there were, and this is a PG message for this part, parents, so I should have given you that disclaimer before, and I'm not giving you permission, young people or children, to walk around naked, or even adults for that matter. I'm just talking about in Greek culture. Also in some of the public bathrooms and rest areas, almost like the spas of our day, that men and women, people would walk around naked. And the, those comely parts, those, those private parts were open. But we know for us that those private parts, we keep them covered. And sometimes in the body, there are some parts that they don't get. There are some gifts in the body that they don't get the shine in the front. And sometimes we look down on those gifts and go, oh, the administrator, ah, that's just the administrator. But we forget that we are interdependent, and if that administrator isn't respected and honored, then maybe the rest of the things don't function properly. Because that gift, while it's not a frontline gift, it needs to be honored. We need to honor that gift, and we need to give honor to where honor is due. And the divine wisdom of God, God has ordered, he says, look, I want to make sure that those parts that you tend to not want to honor, I need you to honor those. I don't want you to just honor the parts that are up front. I don't want you to honor the comely parts. I don't want you to just honor the beautiful parts. I really need you to give even more honor to those parts that we don't think should be honored. You see, the reason God says that needs to happen is twofold. He says, number one, I don't want any division in the body, no schisms in the body. So when we honor not only those who are up front and those parts that are well seen and everybody sees and gets honored, but I want to make sure, God says, I want to make sure that those other parts get honored. Otherwise, there'll be schisms because those other folks will say, hey, what about me? Why didn't you honor me? Why didn't you recognize me? And I remember back in the day growing up, I grew up in a, in a predominantly African-American church, and there were certain services where you had to give honor to the pastor, and you gave honor to this one, and the usher board, and honor to the deacon board, and you had to go through the list. And if there was a certain service, you had to give honor to all of those people. And if you left somebody out, Lord have mercy, people were not happy. And they would let you know, you didn't mention my name, and people would have a fit. And, 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 but, to some degree, I understood it because it was like, well, you honored these people. Why didn't you honor them? And it can create schisms and division. It can create problems in the body. And this is part of what was happening in the church at Corinth. There were certain parts that were being acknowledged. There were certain people who thought they were better than. There were certain people who thought they deserved special rights and privileges. But there were other people that weren't getting the same thing. And God says, uh-uh-uh. In the church, in the body of Christ, we're all interdependent and we're working together. So everybody gets on it. I don't want any schisms in this church. I don't want any division. I need the world to see unity. 
Remember the prayer of Jesus in John 17? That they would be one. Not 11 systems, not 12, not even three in one, like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One. That people would know that there is a God because these people are working together as one. Then the second reason he gives there, he says, for why we need to give honor is because all members have the same care for one another. The same care. So if you're hungry, I don't give you steak and then feed you something else. Everybody gets the same care. You need prayer, I pray for you. I don't say, oh, I'm not praying for her, but I'll pray for this one. No, no, no. Same care. Why? Because we are interdependent. We're connected to one another. Paul is addressing and he's saying, church, 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 I need you to work together. So let's recap. Every believer has at least a gift. The lessons that we're learning here, we've learned here are not to compare ourselves to one another, that we need to give honor to one another, and that we need to remember that we should not be in a place where we don't think we need another member. Everybody has a purpose. Gifts that were given to us are to be exercised today while we're living. Sad to say, there are many Christians who do not even know what their gift is. I remember talking with someone who was up in age and they were questioning. They're like, I don't even know if I know what my gift is. And then they asked a question to the guest speaker of this particular conference and they said, well, what if you're at this uh, space of life, this gentleman was older and he said, well, what if I haven't really reached my potential yet? And it was just silent in the room. I hope that that's not you. I hope that you don't get to a place where you're just going along with your Christian life, taking and receiving and taking and receiving, but not in a place where you know what your gift is and that you stand before God and not knowing what you are supposed to do and missing your kingdom assignment here on this earth. I want to read a poem for you that Larry Gilbert wrote. And he wrote this about spiritual gifts. And it says, he says, he's speaking of the Lord. He says, I have no hands, but your hands to do my work today. I have no feet, but your feet to lead men on the way. I have no tongue, but your tongue to tell men how I died. And I have no help, but your help to bring men to God's side. Working together. I hope today that you have been stirred to find out what is my gift and, and how can I use those gifts? Yes, even in COVID. Yes, even in this time. How can I be interconnected with others who are a part of the church, the Big C Church, and also a local church so that my gifts can be used for the glory of God, so that my gifts can be used to help others to find their way, so that my gifts can be used to be a blessing to the community. Can I pray with you? 
Father, we thank you for this day and this time that you've allowed us to gather. We thank you for this reminder of us learning to work together. And we pray that these lessons that we have learned from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 will cause us to want to ask the question, God, what are the gifts you've given me and how can I use them? How can I exercise them? How can I grow even in those gifts? God, I pray for those that have no clue that they would begin to pray and to begin to talk with you and to begin to examine themselves and say, oh, I like to do this and I like to do that. And I pray for those that have identified their gifts, that you may be calling to use their gifts in a greater way and in a greater measure. I pray, oh God, that you would strengthen their minds and their hearts so that they can use them for your honor and glory. And Father, we pray that your church, your big C church, would increase and would grow and be strengthened because every member of the body is working together. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk with those of you that you said, well, you said this message was for the church. Well, I didn't. Paul did in 1 Corinthians. This message, yes, was written for the church. And maybe you're not sure, and I'm not talking about the church building. I'm talking about the people who are called by the name of God, those who are called out from darkness into God's light, those who've made a decision that I have decided to follow Jesus. And maybe you're like, I haven't made that decision yet. I want to give you the opportunity. I'd like to pray with you and give you that opportunity to receive Christ today. We call it being saved. And it means not that you're perfect, but that you have decided to leave a way of walking, living your life and walking in a way that may not have been pleasing before God, but you've made a decision. You're making a decision to now turn, and that's what repentance means, to turn from to change your ways, and to live a life for God. So if you're willing to do this, I'd like to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Forgive me. Cleanse my heart. I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. I'm choosing to follow you this day. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe you prayed it before and you're like, I did it again, and this time I really, really want to grow in my Christian faith. Well, Abundant Life Church is a good place to do that. If you wouldn't mind texting the word SAVED to 833 3000670. If you text that word saved, someone will call you back and pray with you and make sure that you have the resources and the connection even here to Abundant Life so that we can make sure that you're growing in your faith. And maybe you're watching this and you, it's not Sunday and so you're, you're not able to receive the prayer right after the service on Sunday. If you're watching this any time during the week, you also can text the word prayer if you'd like prayer to that same number, 833-300-0670. And someone will call you back and pray with you. 
Well, thank you, and I pray that this word has been a blessing to you of working together.